Amen. There we are. Good morning. Welcome to Lindsay Lane. My name is Andy John King. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you would take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, as we will close out our sermon series called The Gratitude of God When Jesus Prayed, Thank You. And as you're turning to John chapter 11, I want to go ahead and invite you to next week as we begin a sermon series called Christmas Carols through December. And uh, look forward to, um, to seeing those in Scripture. And just to preface that with in December, we do things a little bit more festive, sometimes a little bit different. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to seeing you here back again on Sunday for that. John chapter 11, we are in the same passage that we were in last week as we looked at Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Starting in verse 39, the scripture says, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days and the smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded in verse 40, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? And so they rolled the stone aside and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all the people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then in verse 43, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped up in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. This is miraculous. Amen. This is a miracle. According to the Gospel of John, this was the last miracle performed by Jesus before he made his way to Jerusalem to die on a cross and himself be raised from the dead with all the power of God. The glory of God was being revealed during this time in this place and to these people and raising the dead was simply ultimate proof of the power of God. And I say ultimate because Jesus was proving his power over the realm of death. This is miraculous. This was a miracle. So let's talk about miracles. Where are miracles now? Have you thought of that? Have you asked that question? Have you ever wondered why we don't see these things all the time like we see them here in Scripture? If God is so real, then why is he not revealing himself in this way anymore? This is likely a question that has come to your mind, if you're honest, one that we want to know. Lazarus was raised. We'd like to request the same thing of our loved ones, Lord. We would like to pray this prayer as well. We would like to reach out to you and say, if you had been there, then they wouldn't have died. Or why don't you just do what you're going to do now and raise them from the dead? We'd like to see divine cures. All of these things, if we're honest, these are things that we'd like to see. These are things that we hope for. Why does God not give us this fresh reminder of his power. Has God stopped performing miracles? And what about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10? Doesn't the Bible speak of some having the gift of performing miracles to help the church? Before we move any further, let me just say, I, don't, I can't think of anything more miraculous than God changing the heart of a grown person setting his ways. Amen? Then, then God changing our status from sinner to saint and God taking someone who lives from themselves and lives for the world, changing their heart to live for the glory of God, someone bigger than themselves. But what we need to know about miracles is this. We must, need, we must know why Jesus did them. Why did Jesus do miracles? Why did he raise 
Lazarus? Why did he feed thousands with just a, a small basket? Why did God do those things? Jesus performed miracles for the purpose of revelation. And all the miracles in scripture were given to authenticate a message. Know that as you think about why God does not do this or why would he do this or when I ask him for this. Know that in scripture, God did miracles to authenticate a message. Not just so that one person would be healed, not just so that many would be healed or one would be raised, even though the character of God is seen in those miracles. But God did miracles so that people would know that he is God. That people would know that God is real and this is who he is. He is involved. We have been preaching for the last month when Jesus prayed thank you because when Jesus prayed thank you, he was thanking God the Father for involving himself in creation. And one of the ways that God revealed himself to the world, to this place, to this time was through the miracles that only God could do. And so those miracles were illuminating God so that people would know him. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, same book that we are reading this morning, the disciples, the Bible says, saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. See, when I read that, I think, oh gosh, what are they? Because I really love reading about the miracles and that's awesome. So what else did he do? But it also, all it says is the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. And then 31 says, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. The emphasis is on us having eternal life by the power of his name, not by God doing miracles at our hand or at our request. See, they're not all listed there, but what is listed is the thrust of the message that we would have eternal life if we would turn from ourselves and turn to God by believing in his way of being right with him, which is through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. These miracles were not recorded for the purpose of asking him for everything that you desire. He's not a magic a magician, he's not, he's not a genie in a bottle. These were recorded for the purpose of believing in him. And this answer, as we think about this, as we think about the miracles that we see in Scripture and why doesn't God do the things that we see there now or does he do the things that we see here in Scripture, this answer doesn't always seem to satisfy our questions, so we persist and ask again. Are miracles obsolete now? Well, here's the thing. God purposed miracles. The vast majority of these miracles happened during three periods of biblical history. Miracles were in the days of Moses and Joshua. They were in the days of Elijah and Elisha. And then they were in the finally during the days of the time of Christ and the apostles. Again, each of these periods of biblical history feature God making himself known before a people in need and a people looking on. And now that the apostolic age is no more, the message is now preserved for us towards the end of the objective of belief. So now that we can ask God not to prove himself, but so that we can see what God has done and believe. The apostolic age has ceased, and so the message is now preserved for us. So to answer the question, are miracles now obsolete? 
The miracles of God as a way to specifically validate who he is and what he is doing has already been done both by Jesus and those living within the apostolic age. So it can be concluded that these purposeful, miraculous happenings have ceased and are now preserved. They are bound up in the word of God and therefore we have no more need of revelation miracles since God has already made himself known. However, The scriptures say that our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he wants to do. So, as surely as the Lord lives, knowing all of this and knowing that there is all power in God Almighty, he is able to do everything in every realm of our life. So go on and pray and ask him for it in faith, church. Amen? What a testimony of those who take their cares to Almighty God and believe him to keep his promises even if he does not grant every request that they make. Yes, trust, and yes, pray, and yes, ask God to do things that we cannot do. You see, prayer is powerful because God is powerful, and that's why we pray. But know this, our request, even requests for miracles, are subject to the supreme will of God. Of God. As one author said, we live in the tension as Christians and believing in miracles and believing that miracles happen while understanding that they are not guaranteed. A final word here on this as we close this page on miracles. God does not exist to prove himself. We exist for his glory. Let me say that one more time. God does not exist to prove himself to us. We exist for his glory. God can receive glory and even work for our good through our difficulty. God can receive glory and work through our good even in suffering. God knows what he is doing as he is all-knowing. And he knows whether or not he will receive glory and there will be eternal good if he does a miracle or if there is suffering. And this is where the trust part comes in. And y'all listen to me. Even if God does a number of miracles before you, even if God grants the request that you make for him to do something that you've never seen before, even if God gives you what you are asking for, the scripture says that as believers, we live by believing, not by seeing. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm convinced that if I ask God to do a miracle... And he did it. I'm so bent in my nature that the next month when I'd want another one, I'd ask him again to prove himself all over again. See, that's who we are. And we must believe that he is who he says he is based on what is bound up in this book, based on what is bound up in the word of God that we see be proved every single day. This is something that Martha overlooked. As you read in the scripture, As we see that the scripture teaches that we walk by faith and not by sight, Martha in verse 39 forgot her faith. Now, in verse verse 22, after she said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. She said after that, right after that in verse 22, she said, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Do you see the roller coaster that's going on? 
God, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I believe that God will give you whatever you ask. Basically, she said, if you say the word now, something awesome is going to happen. If you say the word right now, something great and miraculous will happen because you are here. But then at the grave, she was like, Lord, he's been dead for four days. Don't open up the grave. He's going to smell terrible. So there was this, Lord, if you're here, anything can happen. And what in the world are you doing, Lord? Why would you do that? Now, none of us are like that, are we? Total faith all the time, right? See, at the, at the grave, when, when Jesus was getting ready to do something for the glory of God and that would benefit their family, she's not like, Lord, just whatever you want to do, we trust you completely. Go on and do what he said, guys. This is God Almighty before us. No, she said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. You always got to be careful when you start questioning God and telling him what to do. Why would you, why would you roll the stone aside? His body is decomposing. You, you will smell what is left there. Listen to this. Doubt doesn't stop God. It stops us from experiencing the glory of God. Write it down. Doubt doesn't stop God. It, it stops us from experiencing the glory of God. In a weird way, I'm encouraged when I read the scripture about a roller coaster faith like Martha. If our lives reveal where our faith is, then Martha's was in and out, and it was in and out of grief and faith. Her life was a roller coaster of doubt and hope and emotion as grief was bringing all those things in. And she's not the only one that we see that in Scripture. Peter did the same. In Matthew chapter 14, Peter did what nobody else was going to do, and he stepped out of the boat on faith, and he walked on the water. By faith, he was walking on water to Jesus. And then what happened the next moment? The next moment, as he was surrounded by circumstance and fear began to creep in, his doubt led him to sink. Doubt doesn't stop God working. It stops us from experiencing God's glory. Because if you'll notice there in Matthew chapter 14, when his faith stopped and his doubt rose, Jesus grabbed him up anyway. Amen? Now, in John chapter 20, after the resurrection of Jesus, he appeared to a number of the disciples. But Thomas wasn't with them. And when others told them that they had seen the Lord, Thomas said, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I put my hands in this side, when I see the scars of the nails and the wounds. That's when I'll believe it. So again, doubt doesn't stop God working. It stops us from experiencing the glory of God. So Jesus went on back anyway one more time. And he went there with the disciples. He made a special trip again. He stood among them and he said to Thomas, feel it for yourself. Stop doubting and believe. Doubt doesn't stop God from working. It stops us from experiencing. Now, Martha's moment of doubt, it didn't disqualify her from a relationship with God. Some of you this morning need to give yourselves a break. The Spirit of God's trying to forgive you. You need to go on and forgive yourself. He's trying to get you to understand that, yes, you've had a moment of doubt. You doubted that God's way was better than your own. Now you're asking for forgiveness. Well, listen, Martha's moment of doubt didn't disqualify her from being a friend of God. Faith isn't defined by specific moments of doubt. She wasn't banished from his presence. Jesus didn't smite her because she questioned what he was doing. She wasn't condemned to hell. But Jesus also didn't let it go. Did you notice that? In the scripture, Jesus didn't let it go because in verse 40, he says, didn't I tell you? 
as you are questioning what I'm doing. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Jesus was raising Lazarus, but he was also raising her faith. We finished putting Christmas lights up just a couple of days ago. It took me twice as long as it takes the normal man. So it stretched across two different days. We were putting these lights up and I got down to that blessed moment when I took the plug and was about to insert it into the outlet. And that time between grabbing the plug and getting it to the outlet was filled with doubt. Just in a few seconds, seriously. Just in a few seconds, I'm thinking to myself, this ain't gonna work, I know it. I know it's not gonna work. For whatever reason, when I put this plug in this outlet, I'm gonna look up there and there'll be no light shining. I'm thinking to myself, I'm not a handyman. I can't even hang lights. You should have called somebody to begin with. You should have got Brittany and hung it up here the first time so it would have been done right, right? Like that's the things that I'm thinking. But the truth says when these lights are connected to one another and the truth says when the end of the cord that is connected to all those lights connected to each other, when that is plugged into an electrical outlet where there is power, the lights will come on. That's what the truth says. So by faith, I went ahead and stuck the plug into the outlet. Here's a picture of it. <laughs> no, seriously. No, I mean, like, what, when I put the plug into the outlet, to my surprise, the lights came on, and they've stayed on for two days now. Now, if y'all want to drive by and see them, you better do it quick because something may happen. There's the doubt. You hear it again? There's the doubt. But God doesn't stop working. When we have doubt, it stops us from experiencing the glory of God. The truth is, there was power given to the plug. My doubt would hold me up, but it wouldn't stop the power. Based on the truth, I went ahead and plugged it in. You see, Martha doubted. Listen to this. Martha doubted, but she believed anyway. Is that all right with y'all this morning? Martha doubted, but she believed anyway. Don't miss what happens after she protested. And the Bible says she protested when she was saying, don't open the door. The smell will be too much. And the scripture says that she protested. And the Bible says right after that, they rolled the stone aside. They did. They rolled the stone aside. The doubt delayed, but it didn't paralyze. Remember the disciples in Luke chapter five, when Jesus said to go to the deep and catch some fish. The response was, master, we have worked hard all last night. We didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Doubt, but believe anyway. What happened for the disciples? They caught a boatload of fish. What happened for Martha and Mary? Even though they were skeptical, they watched the dead man come alive. When God is leading you towards belief, but you are battling with doubt, do what God says anyway. Trust the truth. See, if in our lives we would believe God through the doubt, if we would believe God through all of the questions and the skepticism and the nature that says you're right and he's wrong, if we believe God, trust God through the doubt, we will experience the glory of God. What does that mean? We will experience what God is doing. 
We will look back on his wisdom. We will experience his authority keeping us from ourselves. We will experience his peace that passes all understanding. We will experience his purpose, his plan, his power, if we believe. God said, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believe? You see, those two letters of that one small word is enough to keep us on the downside all day long. If, what does if mean? Maybe, maybe not. If you believe. Now, once the stone was set aside and before Jesus shouted the dead man to come alive, Jesus prayed. John chapter 11, verses 41 through 42, Jesus said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said out loud, for the sake of all the people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. Theologically speaking, the Son conversed with the Father as the nature of the Trinity allows for communication between its members. And this prayer of Jesus was purposed towards the belief of those that were looking on, those that would see, literally see, death turn to life. And Jesus prayed to draw attention to the power of God so that they would believe in the grace of God. And the scripture says in verse 45 that many of the people who were there with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Now, did you notice it does not say that all of them believed? See, this is why sometimes when we're praying for miracles, what is a miracle going to do? Is a miracle going to keep you from having doubt ever again, or you just want God to do what you want him to do? See, because here what we see is that many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Many, not all. Yes, it had been four days since his death, since the death of Lazarus, and Jesus had delayed, and he delayed on purpose to raise the dead for the glory of God, for the good of man, and so that his revelation would continue and people would believe into eternity. Once again, borrowing from last week, Jesus' primary purpose is not this day, but which one? The last day. The last day. So Jesus prayed, and he prayed with purpose for those who were looking on that they would believe. But we also see here by principle the example that Jesus sets for those of us who already believe and who are already praying. His prayers are exemplary for us. And here's what we see. First, we see the example of consistent prayer. Now, when Jesus said, Father, thank you for hearing me, we do not see the record of him praying before that. We do not see the record of what Jesus prayed or when he prayed. We do not see a record of Jesus asking the Father to do a work, but without a doubt, because he says it this way, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. We know that Jesus has been conversing consistent with the Father. And the scriptures say in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness. Other translations say that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places for prayer. Hear this, when Jesus said, you always hear me, you always hear me means they always talked. You always hear me means that there was an ongoing conversation between the son and the father. Y'all, this is what I know about being married. And I use marriage because it's the primary example of a close relationship. What I've learned about being married is this. When Brittany and I talk, when we really talk, when we regularly talk, there is strength in our relationship, but we feel a distance when we don't intimately communicate. So we have to work towards communication. 
And we have to work towards really talking, not just stopping by and saying, hey, how's it going? But actually having an intimate conversation where we are hearing each other's thoughts and feelings and what's going on in our life. And we have to work towards that communication because our schedule could care less if we've talked or not. Take a note, consistent communication leads to confident relationships. Consistent communication leads to confident relationships. Jesus trusted that God the Father always heard him because they talked all the time. There was no more in demand than Jesus himself, and yet he still got alone to talk with the Father. And y'all, I gotta tell you this morning, there are times when I preach to you and the Spirit of God says, are you listening? And that's one of those times that no matter what you have going on, we were not in more demand than Jesus was. And even in his time, he broke away and he got alone to talk with the Father. And it's been said before that powerful prayer is rooted in private prayer. His prayer of gratitude was, was not this quick prayer to heaven. It was the period to an ongoing sentence, an ongoing conversation that took place over time. There's consistent prayer. And then you see the example of gracious prayer. Jesus prayed thank you. It's just simple thanksgiving. Jesus said, thank you for listening. Thank you for hearing me. And simple thanksgiving is appropriate, is it not? He didn't ask for the power to perform a miracle. Did you notice that? Jesus didn't ask for the power to perform a miracle. Jesus is God. Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the new life within all of us who believe. The purpose of prayer was for others to believe. But the example for us to follow and the principles of gratitude here is exactly that. It is a biblically repetitive principle for those who acknowledge God to pray and when they pray to thank him for what he's done. We're real good at asking, aren't we? Real good at it. But have we thanked God for how he has followed through? Have we thanked God in advance for his patience with us? Have we thanked God for his wisdom to know when he knows, needs to tell us no? How many of you are thankful for people in your life that have thrown you a no when you've asked for it? Amen? For when you have said, God, give me this, or when you said to your parents or you said to other people, give me this, I want this, and they go, no, you don't need it. Now looking back, are you not grateful? The biblical principle here that, that what we see here is when Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed a gracious prayer. And here's why. The expression of gratitude establishes a position of humility. Let me say it again because I messed up in the middle. The expression of gratitude establishes a position of humility. Did Jesus have to pray thank you? No. He didn't have to pray thank you. He and the Father are one. But as there is with God, there is order. And there is order within how God works. And the Son give thanks to the Father so that those who live and believe in Jesus will position themselves below his authority. And gratitude positions us for humility. But gratitude is also just truthfully appropriate. Gratitude is just right, isn't it? Is that not what we teach our kids? Especially this time of year. We're going, over to, we're going over to other people's houses now, all right? So when we're in other people's houses, we're going to definitely tell them thank you all the time. Do we not teach our kids when they are given a meal, when the way is made for them, when they are given a gift, what do we do? We do this. What do you say? What do you tell them? 
Brittany and I were talking about that. I'm pretty sure one of our children one time said, when we said, what do you say? They said, you're welcome. Like, that's not it. That's not the thing. That's not what we were trying to. But think about that. We teach our kids because it's right. We teach our kids, our grandchildren to say thank you for something that has been provided for them. Here was a takeaway. God involved himself with creation. He revealed his power and his character to man for his glory, but for our good, he offers eternal life and he doesn't have to. He offers new life, forgiveness to those who would believe. Now, what do you tell him? What do we say? Isn't it appropriate? Most of the time, though, we find ourselves just asking him for one more thing. Lord, would you do one more thing? Lord, when are you going to come through on this? Gratitude goes a long way. This is the example of gracious prayer. And finally, we've got the example of confident prayer. Jesus' prayer of gratitude shows us that there was no doubt within him. He said, Lord, thank you for hearing me. He said, you always hear me. Have any of you ever doubted your prayers? Like they're getting stuck at the ceiling. You don't even know if God is listening. Have you ever considered if God hears everybody's prayers? Have you ever doubted that what you are praying is actually making it to the heart of God? Because here what we see is Jesus says, you always hear me. Now listen to this. There was no thunderous voice from heaven. God did not audibly say, I hear you, I always hear you. There was no sign written in the stars, yet Jesus acts in perfect dependence. For what reason? To show us how to pray believing, how to pray with confidence. There's been times in our prayer service, we got a prayer service coming up Wednesday. There's been times in prayer services and times at the end of service when we got the church together to pray. And before we did, I felt led to go, now if you're going to come down here and doubt, then just sit right in your seat. We have to pray without wavering. Pray believing, because the truth of God's word is that if we are right with God through faith in the blood of Jesus, we can go confidently to the throne of God for grace and mercy because he hears us. Amen? Know the scripture about what it says here. The confidence of a right relationship with God doesn't mean that God will answer every request. But confidence in a right relationship with God means that when we pray, he will hear us and he will respond with his will and with his wisdom. First John chapter five, verse 14 says, we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Now hear that one more time. We are confident whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. For a lot of us, we want to put a period right there at the end of whenever we ask for anything. God, why haven't you done this? And some of us, would you consider this morning that if you are asking God for things, are you seeking what would please the heart and the mind and the will and the way of God? Or are you just asking God for what you want? But we're confident that he hears us. All prayer is subject to the will of God, but all prayer is privileged by the grace of God. All prayer subject to the will of God, all prayer privileged by the grace of God. The confidence that I have that God is hearing my prayer is only by his unmerited favor. It's not because I am a preacher or a longtime Christian or God, I've been on my best behavior. The only reason my prayers would make it to the heart and the mind and the ears of God is because of his grace unto me. But we can be confident that God hears our prayers. 
Jesus said, you always hear me. Why? Because they were in a united relationship. The triunity, if you will. See, whatever, I, think about this. Whatever the method of communication, I can go to my dad right now and ask him for 20 bucks. I can do that whatever way that I see fit. I'm confident that he'll hear me. It's not about if I'm talking to him correctly. It's not about the method of communication. If I have communicated correctly or if I send a text message, a letter, a phone call, if I go see him in person, it's about whether or not I know him for real and if I am right with him. He may tell me, no, I'm not going to give you $20. I gave you $20 yesterday. He may tell you those things. But there's only two reasons why I would not be confident that my father would not hear my request. One, I truly don't know who he is. Or two, because we have a broken relationship. That's the only reasons why I could not go to my dad and ask him freely for something that is a desire of my heart or even bring a need to him. But because I truly know him and because I'm in good standing with my father, there is no doubt with our communication when we call upon the Lord to be saved, God hears that prayer. And by God's grace, through our faith, when we call upon him anytime after that, he hears us. But if you just believe that there's a God out there somewhere and you don't know exactly who he is and he may be the God of 18 different religions and you're believing that God is who you want him to be, in fear and trembling, God is not hearing your request if you remain within yourself and in your sin. Now that's tough teaching, but biblically true. God is not who, whatever who you make him out to be. You don't get to just talk to God because you think you deserve it. We don't just to get haul off and make requests of God, the God that we do not know and are separate from him in our sin. And yet we say we talk to God all the time. Listen to me if with as much Grace, as I can tell you right now, if you want God to hear your prayers, you've got to come to God on your, his terms. There must be a turning from self and a turning to God, a turning from sin and a turning to God by faith in Jesus Christ. It's only by God's grace that our prayers are heard. It is by the grace of God that he bends down to listen. But if we've got just this idea of God that is extra biblical or outside of his word or it's somebody that we create him to be, you are talking, but you are not talking to God. And another reason why your prayers may not be heard or reason why your prayers may be feeling like they are stopping at the ceiling is because there is a wrong standing with God, meaning you have sin that stands between the right fellowship between you and the Lord. And if you even there, there are times in the scripture, one of those times is that I'm reminded of in my own life. Husbands, when you treat your wife incorrectly, the scripture says that God's going to stop on those prayers. Look it up. Boy, silence on that one. I know. I know. There are times when our sin stands between right fellowship with God. So what does God gift us? He gives us confession. That's why we go to God and tell him what we've done for the things that he already knows that we've done because then we are agreeing with God that what he says is right and how we've been acting is wrong. God gifts us with confession so that we go straight to the Father, not through me or anybody else. We go straight to the Father through the blood of Jesus and we call on him for forgiveness. We confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And that relationship is freed up and that fellowship is restored so that our prayer life can be bold and continue. Amen. 
You see, prayer is just not whatever we want to make it to be. There are times when I've talked to people that come in here and I said, do you have a right and real relationship with God? Oh, yes, I talk to God all the time. That's great. Now tell me who God is. Well, I've always believed in God. That's great. Who is he? Who do you say that God is? If we don't know him, or if there's sin standing between us, our prayers are stopping. You may be praying all the time, but if you don't know who God is and your relationship with him is broken over sin and shame, let me ask you, who are you appealing to? Hebrews teaches us that we who believe in Jesus are in a right relationship with God and therefore can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And God help us all, church, if there are more people out there praying to a God they do not know and we are praying less to a God we do know. That the church is actually praying less to a God that they have a right relationship with and there are people on the outside that are calling upon God that they do not know, calling upon God and their sin stands in the way, yet we have a right relationship with God and we won't touch a prayer service. Now I'm just preaching. Now I'm just meddling. See there, we will receive God's mercy. Hebrews teaches us that we who believe in Jesus are in a right relationship with God and we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. That, that should give you not this air of pride, but that we can take and we can pray just as Jesus did. You always hear me. You always hear me. How do we know? Because he's gracious to let us talk. There we receive his mercy, the Bible says, and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. That's Hebrews 4.16. You see, in the Old Testament, the people at large approach God through a high priest. For all of their dealings, the Bible says, the New Living Translation puts it, for all of their dealings, because the priest made intercession between them and the Father. But here's why that was an imperfect system. Because the priest wasn't perfect, and because the priest died. You hear me? So that's why that was an imperfect system. But our high priest is perfect. He laid down his life for us as the sacrificial lamb of God, and he lives forever at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Man, come on. The scripture says Jesus is the high priest, the perfect high priest, the source of eternal salvation for all of those who obey him in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus is perfect. He lives forever. He's made an offering for our sin once and for all time. Man, I'm so glad that when I pray, I know that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I pray, my heavenly father hears me. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse six, I am the way, I'm the truth and the life. And no one can come to the father except through me. Therefore, because the issue of sin has been settled for the believer and the follower of Jesus, prayer is possible. Y'all, at the end of all of our services, we open up the altar. And nothing says that you've all got to come down here to the altar and pray. There is something special, though, about getting on your knees before a God whom you need and everybody knows it anyway. I don't understand that. There are times when we give an invitation 
knowing that the message that we've preached is heavy and there will be people that I know, I know because I've been there. You want to go forward, not for any ceremonial sake, but you just want to get on your knees before God. And then there's a seed of doubt planted because you begin to think, I'd love to be part of the church praying together as the church, but what are these folks going to think? They're going through the same thing you are. And everybody in here, pastor to the prisoner, we've all got sin. We're all broken. We're all in need of the grace of God. As you walk the aisle, if people are thinking to themselves, well, I wonder what they've done. I guarantee the Holy Spirit of God is getting on to them as they think it. Don't stop being a praying church. Lindsay Lane cannot cease to be a praying church, a church that lays the request for miracles before God. A church that lays the request for something simple, something heavy, to pray for each other, to pray for your family members, your friends, and the lost to be saved. We cannot stop being a, a church that prays with gratitude, a church that prays consistently, and a church that prays with great confidence that God hears us because this place belongs to no man. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we talk to him while we're here, talk to him the rest of the week until we get back. And prayer is possible and to talk to Almighty God is possible because our sin issue has been settled by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you as we close, has your issue of sin been settled? Have you turned from your sin and turned to God and believe that Jesus is king, that he is the way, the truth, and the life? Have you personally called upon him for salvation, are you right with God? Is there an issue in your life right now from eight to 80? Is there an issue of sin in your life this morning where you need to get on your knees before God and get something right with him right now, this day? And again, you may say, man, all oh, that's wonderful and eloquent. I'm not coming to that altar. You don't have to. You stand right where you are. You bow your head. You bow your heart before God and you talk to the Lord. There is no greater power on earth than the power of God, and prayer is a connector to that. This entire series has been about thanksgiving for God's involvement with man. I am thankful for the discipline of God. I'm thankful for the chastisement of his Holy Spirit, the correction and conviction. I am thankful for the encouragement that God gives to me through you. I am thankful for God's continued favor and grace and mercy on for me that has been bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Let's stand to our feet. Church, this altar is open for you. We have decision counselors that'll be here and all that you need to do, if you wanna to respond today and say, I know I need to be saved. If you wanna come down this today, we're not gonna put you in front of anybody and make a deal like that. All you gotta tell us is I need to be saved. We can help you from there. We wanna ask you some questions. We wanna talk with you so we can help you take next steps. Next steps toward baptism, towards joining the church. Next steps towards being a part of the body of Christ. Next steps towards what you need to do as a Christian to remain faithful. That's why we're here. That's why we have decision counselors. Let's bow our head in a holy moment. Lord, for whatever you've been working up in our heart today, God, may we turn to you now. Lord, if we need to fill the altar, if we need to fill our pew as a place of prayer, God, I pray that you would lead us to respond. Lord, if there be one or many here, Lord, that needs to turn from themselves and turn to you today, call on you, God, to forgive them and save them.
Lord, I pray that they would no longer wrestle with the issue of whether or not they saved, but they draw a line in the sand today. God, we thank you for hearing us, Lord, and we pray confidently because this is your church, a church that believes in you through the blood of Jesus Christ. We call on you for grace and mercy. Would you minister to us now through this invitation, Lord? Would you lead us to pray? Would you lead us to respond? God, I ask that we be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This altar is open for us, church.